Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Second Peter chapter number three. Second Peter chapter number three. We're going to start with verse number 10. We have been in this series on Second Peter for some time now. This is part number 11. But uh, I am endeavoring to close this out this evening. Amen. We'll go on to something else. Is exactly right at this moment. I don't know. But we will go on to something else. Second Peter chapter number three. I want to start with verse number 10. <clears throat> if you remember, the whole setting of this whole chapter is around the idea of false teachers that's believing and even instructing that the day of the Lord or the coming of the Lord is just kind of like a fable, something that's just spoken about but never is going to happen. Peter is trying to combat that, telling us that the day of the Lord is a very real thing, that there is a real thing of his coming, and there is a real thing about judgment that is to come, and we must live our lives not only today, but for what is in the future for tomorrow. And so with that being said, let's go to verse number 10. The Bible states these words, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Tonight, I want to just entitle this lesson to finish out our series, Live It Like You Know It. Live it like you know it. Hallelujah. Can we pray together here tonight? Father, we need you, Jesus, here this evening. Pray, oh God, that you're able to move upon each and every heart and every mind, Lord, tonight. God, I pray, oh Lord, tiredness, God, that may be in people's bodies. I pray this evening, give us the strength, God, to lean in, Lord Jesus, to be attentive. God, if nothing else, just the pure, Lord Jesus, word of the Lord. Let that word, God, find, Lord, an anchor point, God, in our life. I pray, oh Lord, help, Lord Jesus, bolster our faith. God, help our minds, Jesus, this evening, God, to be upon you and about you. God, for we know, Lord, in these scriptures, Lord God, they are the words that speak of you. I pray, oh God, we want to learn of you through them, Lord Jesus, this evening. God, and will not fail, Lord, to thank you and praise you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Didn't mean to turn my back on you. 
live it like you know it. Peter in verse number 10 comes out of the gate, so to speak, because in spite of everything that we've been learning over the past 10 weeks that these false teachers have been teaching and advocating, they have taught, even maybe perhaps some have just surmised about, Peter speaks with certainty, not with guesswork, but with certainty and emphatically in verse number 10 by saying, But the day of the Lord will come. Even in spite of how unstable some of those that may have been that were being allured, because the Bible says the false teachers, they were alluring with their vain sayings, those that were unstable, in spite of how the unstable may have been allured and those that maybe were trying to find balance after having years of steady faith, their faith may be starting to sway because of the voices that they were hearing around them saying different things contrary to what they had believed before. Peter is trying to be very, very plain. He's not beating around the bush. He's kind of straight to the point. In other words, he's really saying it really doesn't matter what you've subscribed to. It doesn't matter what you may have thought. The realization is this, is that the day of the Lord is certain. It doesn't matter what... The majority of teachers might be saying, because, you know, you can't always depend on the majority, can you? If that's the case, <clears throat> as they did in Jesus' time, it was the majority, I guess, to put him to the cross. So you can't always depend on the majority. And so it doesn't matter what they were saying. He says the day of the Lord is certain. It's on the calendar, folks. Now, I don't know the day. I don't know the hour. I don't know the season. But it's on the calendar whether we realize the exact time or not. And Peter says it will come. And so he describes the coming of the Lord as several teachers, other writers of the Scripture, even Jesus himself has described it. He describes the coming of the Lord as a thief in the night. And we've all times that there's the parable and the the Gospels talking about if you knew what time, Mike Trout, a thief was going to come into your home you probably wasn't going to be in your deepest sleep at that moment. You're probably going to be setting up with whatever you have in your house. I don't know if you have guns, but you might have one handy. You'd probably be waiting if you knew what time that the thief was going to come because you're not going to be taken by surprise. But the fact of the matter concerning the coming of the Lord, it is as a thief and a knife. They're not sending you a letter the day before letting you know they're coming. They're not giving no indication when they're going to come. They're going to try to come in the stealth, if you will, uh, of, of surprise. Amen. And as a result of the surprise and not knowing exactly when it's going to happen, then as, as, as homeowners, then it would just be, we just always got to be ready. And so Peter is trying to convey that idea to us concerning the coming of the Lord, that it's just something that we always got to be ready for. And for that matter, since there is a element of surprise of not knowing the exact moment then that should fuel our readiness all that much more amen Uh, our desire to be ready as I stated last week at all times or for that matter any time when we talk about the imminent return of the Lord that concept and idea is that it can take place at any time now the day of the Lord that Peter is speaking of the day of the Lord is not a 24-hour period of time okay 
<laughs> the day of the Lord is a period of time that actually could unfold uh, for days and even years. There is a near and far setting whenever you're talking about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is that period of time that holds a lot of events in the last days that would start with the rapture of the church. The day of the Lord would commence or begin with the rapture of the church, but there's other things that will unfold. If anybody remembers any old Daniel Revelation series we went through for weeks and weeks, there's going to the day of the Lord is that that full spread of the rapture of the church, and remember a covenant being confirmed uh, for Israel concerning their land, whose rightful land, which will give expression then to the revelation of who the Antichrist is. Seven years of tribulation, three and a half years where the Antichrist looks like he's walking the dog and everybody's uh, really thinking he's the man, only for three and a half years in him to turn and and uh, to really show himself for who he is. And a thousand years then of a millennial reign of Christ and Satan bound for a thousand years and a white throat judgment. This all. Amen, is this this big day of the Lord type thing. That's the reason why Peter is talking not just about the coming of the Lord, but in the same moment he's talking about elements dissolving and the earth burning with fervent heat. Uh, these are things that will take place through a span of time, but not necessarily when the church is raptured and taken away, but it will take place through a spanning of time. But he says we, we, we got to know that that day is coming. Just as sure as the comfort of the church being taken away is coming, the judgment that comes on the tail end of that day of the Lord is coming as well. And so it's with both those things in mind. As Christians, we should be longing then for being caught away. But at the same time, if we are not, we should be longing for a change to not be caught up in the judgment of the day of the Lord, of that hour. And so there's some spectacular things that's going to happen, of course, in that day, which is not a 24-hour period again. Amen. But that time frame of the day of the Lord, people were talking about the, the heavens or the sky and the celestial bodies and the earth will indeed be destroyed or consumed. And, and there will be a new heaven, the Bible says, a new heaven, celestial bodies and sky and a new earth. And uh, there's a lot of speculation. People are saying, well, is it just going to be a cleansed or renewed earth and heaven because of the fire? Is it going to be totally new? Meaning uh, fresh and a fresh start and a fresh newness, not just a cleansing. Uh, to that, I'll speak this. Whenever Peter spoke of the judgment of God back in chapter 2, 2 Peter chapter 2, and he spoke about the judgment of God, and he spoke about the judgment that came through the flood in Noah's day, the water that came, the water destroyed the earth. Whenever he talked about the fire that fell upon Sodom and Gomorrah, fire and brimstone, the fire annihilated Sodom and Gomorrah. It wasn't just a cleansed Sodom and Gomorrah, and it wasn't just a cleansed earth, but there was a destruction that took place. And in both of those instances, the tool of judgment, of course, was destructive. And so the water didn't just wash the earth in Noah's day, and the fire didn't just cleanse Sodom in Sodom's day. And so furthermore, with that in mind, when we're talking then about a future judgment, we're not just talking about a cleansing. We're talking about a doing away with one and a, re and a bringing about of another. Because whenever we read the phrase that it shall pass away, that literally means it should come to an end. It should perish. That don't sound like a renewal. <laughs> that sounds like a stop and start. Uh, it sounds like doing away with the old. The very elements, the Bible says, the building blocks of our natural world will melt 
with fervent heat, the very elements, take the periodic table, the very elements of our natural world, even the air, fire, and wind, all these things are going to just melt with fervent heat. And so the phrase when it says, it shall be burned up, again, it means to burn utterly as, as chaff that would be belong to the grain. So there is an element of finality, of bringing to a close of those things, a destruction, and then a newness that will come about. The English Standard Version Bible says this, and the works that are done on it, meaning the earth, the works that are done on the earth will be exposed. It, it, it favors that translation rather than be burned up. And even some of the earlier manuscripts say that the works of the earth will be found. And while it's true that the earth will undergo a literal burning, according to the scripture, the works of men upon the earth will also undergo a fire that will reveal some things. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3 and verse number 13, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. You'll remember the setting of the scripture said some will build upon hay and stubble and some will build upon stone and other foundation and every man's work will be tried by fire. We'll know what your foundation is and it'll be proven and manifest by the fire of that day. I'm not talking about a literal fire, but I'm talking about the fire of God's spirit. He will give manifest to what we have built upon in our lives. Amen. And so it's going to be all in that time of the day of the Lord. And so, so much more than what Peter, beginning this whole to begin with, let's grow and let's add to faith, virtue, and virtue, godliness. He's talking about all these building blocks because those are things that are going to be revealed by the fire that's going to be manifested in the lives. Even in the last days, what we have built upon, what we have grown into, what we have given our lives to. And so Paul tells us that as a result of these things coming, this is what he tells us. As a result of all these things coming in verse number 11, he said we should practice them, holy conversation and godliness. I've said it once. I've said it ten thousand times, and that's not even a number. But that is this. Conversation in Scripture, it says holy conversation. It's talking about holy conduct or holy lifestyle. Conversation isn't just about what you speak many times when it's spoken in the New Testament Scripture. It's talking about holy lifestyle. So we should, as a result, we know these, Peter says, I'm telling you, it's coming, it's going to happen, this is going to happen. And so this is how we should live our lives then. This is how we should live our lives in accordance to what we know is going to happen. We know that the fires, a literal fire is going to come. We know that every man's work, literally, is going to be tried by fire. And he says, so we need to live our lives in such a way that we have that knowledge. We need to stay up with the gun on the porch when we know the thief is going to come. You understand what I'm saying? He said we don't need to be ignorant, stick our head in the sand, but we need to be conscious about what we know. And so he's making a connection for us. Peter is making a connection for us in the book of 2 Peter here, and that is this. When we talk about the Lord's return, we best consider ourselves. We talk about the Lord's return, we best consider our lifestyle. We best consider godliness in our lives because here's the thing our lifestyle or conduct often refers to external actions right your lifestyle is something you see some it's lived out in an individual's life their conduct something that most of the time that you see we're talking about external actions and behaviors Whereas whenever he talks to us about that we need to be conscious or we need to practice 
godliness, when we talk about godliness, godliness more tends in Scripture to attend to the internal attitudes of a heart. So we have two aspects. We have an external and an internal. We have holy conversation, the external. We have godliness, which is an internal attitude of the heart. But the thing is this, each have bearing upon one another. The internal and the external affect one another. Or at least should. <laughs> They affect one another. And so there's an ebb and a flow that is, that is between them. Uh, David said, or the psalmist rather, you don't want to just always say David when you go to the psalms because there's a lot of people outside of David that pin the psalms. But the psalmist said in Psalms 24 and verse 3, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands. Everybody say external. Lifestyle. He that have clean hands and a pure heart. Everybody say internal. Godliness. Who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity nor sworn deceitfully. Verse 5. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord. Who shall? That man with the clean hands and pure heart. Not either or. This is not multiple choice. This is the whole ball of wax, as they say. This is conduct, holy lifestyle. This is conversation. This is godliness, internal, external. He who had both of these, amen, shall receive the blessing from the Lord, the righteousness from the God of his salvation. In other words, this is the one that shall ascend to the hill of the Lord. This is the one that shall stand in his holy place. The one that has both aspects. Peter is just waving the flame of that. The Lord is coming. You want to stand in his holy presence someday? He said, be mindful then of holy conversation and godliness. The externals and the internals of your life experience. Amen. So Peter is not asking us. Whenever he says, whenever he says what manner of persons ought ye to be, he's not asking us a question. Amen. As much as he is admonishing us. What manner of persons ought ye to be? It's not so much a question as an admonition. And his admonition is this. We need to be respectable people based upon the information that we have learned about the Lord, based upon the information that we know about God and the promise of his coming. He says we need to be people, amen, that, 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 that are respectable, that live our lives in such a way because we have this knowledge. The word ought, O-U-G-H-T, the word ought in the Bible it refers to obligation. Listen to this. It refers to obligation, including the idea of owning, owing a debt to someone. Now think, back to the beginning of the study, I know this kind of, and this is the grand thing about Scripture, you know, because you pull in one area, and you're, you, I can pull the word, and we'll get to there a little later. Be diligent. He's going to talk about verse 3. We had that like in chapter 1 and chapter 2. You pull that, and it pulls those other two verses along with it. And that's the wonderful thing about Scripture. But if you'll remember... In the beginning, Peter's talking to people that's received what? The Holy Ghost, right? That's been empowered to become partakers of the divine nature, to add and mature in their walk and their experience of God. They have been given, do you remember all things, Sister Melian? Amen. That's been given to them that pertain to life and godliness, right? He's given us all these things that pertain to life and godliness. And then it is we ought to behave or we ought to be persons to behave because... It's an obligation of ours and owing to us to live in harmony with what we've been given. He's given us all things for godliness. 
so it's almost owing to us to live godly. He's given, he's given that to us, so it's almost an obligation then upon us. Amen. Because of what he's given, you've, you've, you've given me the necessary material to be successful in living godly. It's not like he said, go be godly, have good fun with that. No. He gave me all things that pertain to life and God. He gave it to me. And then he says, go and do with it. I mean, it's not like I come to you and say, make a cake, but I'm not giving you any ingredients. It's like I'm giving you the flour, the eggs, and everything there is in order to make the cake and say, make the cake. Well, you know, you kind gesture, you might just, oh, and feel a little obligated. I gave you all the ingredients in order to do what was necessary, amen, or what was, what was asked or what was desired. But unlike the false teachers, unlike the false teachers, us, who Peter calls the beloved several times, we should be looking forward to the coming of the Lord and anticipating the coming of the Lord rather than shrugging off the idea of the coming of the Lord. False teachers say it's never going to happen. We need to be of the mindset it's going to happen and it could happen today. And we should live our, our lives with our eyes wide open Looking for his coming, not just that, but we should earnestly desire his coming. Is anybody looking for the coming of the Lord? Huh? I mean, there's some days more than others that I'm ready more than anything for the coming of the Lord. Amen. Earnestly desiring the coming of the Lord. This old world's not getting better. Every day it's getting worse. All the fighting and confusion going on down here on earth. The old song says. Amen. And so one of these days we're going to be caught away. And sometimes our lives, amen, need to be looking to and desiring his coming. Now, look now. Let's go just a little step further. Verse number 12, when you look at it. We are looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God. We're, we're hastening to the coming of the Lord. And hastening, of course, could mean earnest desiring. We're desiring his arrival. We're desiring his coming. But there's another sense, too, and that is this. Hastening doesn't just mean that we are desiring his coming, but we are also doing what we can on this side in aid in its coming about, its fruition. Now, how in the world, Brother McGee, we don't know the day or the hour when he's coming. You're telling me I can aid in him coming. I believe in both senses, hasten, you can desire it, and you also help aid in it. I know that we cannot dictate to God when he will come, right? Can't do that. But there is a tension, I think, that we can hold of the day of the Lord coming as a thief and also our responsibility in hastening, aiding in his coming, biblically. There may be just a couple ways I'll share with you tonight that we can hasten Yes, the coming of the Lord. And it still be as a thief in the night. And the way that we can hasten the coming of the Lord, two things, and I'll hit on them here real quickly. Number one, we can help by spreading the gospel throughout the whole world. Number two, this is simple, but we can pray as we admonish in Scripture, come Lord Jesus. 
The Bible says in Matthew 24 and verse 14, and this is a chapter that has many end times, end things, the last day, things that are spoken about, where it talks about the wars and the rumors of wars and earthquakes and divers, place all these things. And the Bible says in Matthew 24 and verse 14, and this gospel of the kingdom shall, everybody say shall, shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then, everybody say then, and then shall the end come. And then shall the end come. So he can still come a day or hour I know not. But I can help in the expediency of that coming by spreading the gospel into the world. Friends, relatives, nations, sects, peoples, and remote places. That's what you do by your missionary giving. You're helping get the gospel in the regions of the world that I otherwise might not know. Because whenever this gospel shall be preached to all the world for a witness to all nations, then shall be and come. So we got to keep sending out missionaries. Why? Because the more that we get them out to remote places where people's never heard of him, the better we are off for the hastening of the coming of the Lord. Amen. For that matter, the Bible says in Matthew 6 and verse number 10, Jesus' disciples wanting to know uh, how to pray or how they ought to pray. And he begins to tell them what was known as the Lord's Prayer. When you pray, say. And so teaching uh, his disciples to pray in that Lord's Prayer, that model prayer is verse number 10. He says, you're going to pray, thy kingdom come, Lord. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. Now, we get glimpses of that every once in a while down here. But about his kingdom that knows no end, that's an everlasting kingdom that's come, the day of the Lord. Amen. Pray that his kingdom will come. Amen. Pray that that day will arrive, that everlasting kingdom, that, that which we spoke about in our Daniel uh, uh, series now now a long time ago. Uh, if you'll remember, there is a, a stone that is cut that is without hands that will be taken down and it will hit that statue of all those different metals of brass and gold and feet of clay and earth and all those things, and it will hit that, and it will become a great mountain and fill all the earth, which was a, a symbolism of the kingdom of the Lord. And that kingdom was going to put a rest to all other kingdoms prior to it and destroy all the previous kingdoms, and it was going to stand. Amen. And it also speaks in those times and hours, and even as Peter does, how the heavens will dissolve, the elements will melt away, and and it will give way then to a new heaven and a new earth. And look at the new, will you? Look at the new heavens, the celestial bodies and sky and the new earth. The Bible says that they are going to be found in righteousness. They're going to be found wherein dwelleth righteousness. Honey, let me tell you something. That is different from today. That is different today. In that day, his promise of a new heavens and a new earth will be fulfilled. Because if you'll remember in Old Testament times, right, during the day of, of, of Noah, even the reason for the first judgment of the flood, men's heart were continually what? Wicked. That's what the Bible says. Genesis 8 and Genesis 9. The hearts of the people were continually wicked. But now the new heavens, celestial bodies and skies and new earth now is going to there be dwelling wherein dwelleth righteousness. So you have a contrast. That which was wicked, now that which is righteous. It's going to be paradise like it was in the beginning, amen, of time before men's hearts were, were turned and persuaded continually after wickedness 
from after the first transgression of the Garden of Adam and Eve. It's going to go back to a, a, a arena, a paradise. So, so we got to get the word out. Got to let we got to get the word out about uh, 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 the coming of the Lord concerning. Um, I lost my train of thought. Get back here, trade. <laughs> the coming of the Lord concerning letting people know through the gospel and preach the gospel message, but also in just simple requests of come, Lord. Revelations 22 and verse 20. This is how we're hastening, hastening his coming. John said in Revelations 22 and verse 20, he which testifieth these things saith, surely I come quickly. John joins in that statement and says, amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. John's finishing the book of Revelation here, telling us what Jesus had said. Jesus says, surely I come quickly. Now you heard it from the big chief, folks. <laughs> surely I come quickly. And John just says, you know what? I'm going to join in agreement with you, Lord. I'm going to join in agreement with you and say, amen. I'm going to say, so be it. Even so, come Lord Jesus. And so I think that's good for us today. He's already told us he's coming. As a church, we just need to get in agreement with him and say, Amen. Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. And it is best we live our lives, right? And bend our attitudes in that mindset of come, Lord Jesus, posture. Mm -hmm. Be in alignment with his desires. Be in alignment with the one for whom we're looking for, right? So we can hasten his coming. We can desire it. But we can also encourage it. Look now, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse number 14, picking back up here. So, wherein dwelleth the righteousness? This is the new heaven, new earth. The righteousness got there now. It's dwelling. It's absolutely different. Verse 14. Wherefore, Peter says, beloved, there he is being kind-hearted again to those he's trying to t teach and educate, seeing that ye look for such things. Boom. It's not that you might. He's just believing that those that are his beloved are looking for it. Seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him. That's God in peace without spot and blameless. And account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. We talked about that a little bit last week. Remember, Everybody else is saying, oh, delay, delay, he's never coming. And saying, well, you better thank him for that because that's his patience really for your salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul also according to the wisdom given to him hath written unto you. Look at verse six, six, 16. As also in all his epistles speaking in them of things, of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also other scriptures unto their own destruction. Now, Peter says, since the beloved, since the dearly beloved are anticipating this, he says, let them be found as they should be when God arrives, without spot and blameless, right? Now, if you'll remember in 2 Peter 2.13, he spoke about people, false teachers in particular. He spoke to them particularly about spots they are. He didn't say they were spotted. He said they are the spot. <laughs> he, said, he said blemishes they are. Not they were blemished, but they were the blemish. What had happened with these people, their flaws had become their identity. They weren't just spotted. They were the spot. They weren't just blemished. They were the blemish. 
And so their, their, their uh, again, their, their way of life, their characters, their flaws have become their identity. But the beloved, the beloved that Peter's speaking to are not to be spots or blemishes, neither spotted or blamable. Whenever we talk about spots, when we talk about spots here in the Scripture, that pertains more so how we appear before God. Spots. But when we talk about blameless, the idea of blamelessness, that pertains to how people perceive us. And if you'll remember, and this goes back just a little bit, the Lamb of God, I believe it was in First, Second Peter chapter number 1, the Lamb of God that they described, and I think I have the verses here just coming up. The Lamb of God was spoken of. The Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. He's without spot, the Bible says. And he's without blemish, right? And so him being without spot and blemish, and we are to have received his divine nature, then we are to adopt his character. Mm-hmm. We take his divine nature. If he's without spot and without, without blemish, then we are to adopt his character and emulate the same character. That's how then we can stand before God without spot and without blemish. Not because of necessarily my own nature, but I have taken on his nature. And I've allowed that nature to grow and manifest itself in my life. First Peter 1, verse 18, there it is, talking about the Lamb of God, 18 and 19. He says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation, there we are, that conversation word again, lifestyle, received by tradition from your fathers, verse 19, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, Amen. And so we take on his nature. Amen. Whenever Christ comes back, he's looking for himself in us. Hmm? When we're found in the day of, of uh, we want to be found in the day of the Lord. We want to be found, the Bible says, of him. Verse number uh, uh, 13, I believe it is. No, 14. We want to be found of him in peace. How many ever have heard, uh, you, know, you know, people on their way, going to die or anything are you at peace with God that's that's the common terminology are you at peace with God you know what that really means it means are you right with God but listen to me that's being right with God on God's terms not yours there's oh Lord Jesus how many times people are I've been told people are at peace with God but that's been on their terms and not God's terms I'm not, I'm not interested in being hopeful about that. <laughs> I want to be diligent, right? Diligent to make my calling and my election sure. Peter had already told us that in 2 Peter 1.10. There's that word diligent again. Another thing to be diligent, be diligent about making your calling and election sure. Because the Lord's coming. Because the Lord's coming. And again, he's going to be looking for himself in us. That without spot, that without blemish, that uh, unblameable, if you will. So I want to be found without spot and blemish, a blameless lamb, if you will, uh, for the Lord. Because there is, there is, here it is, there is no greater evidence of maturing and growing up into the nature of God than mirroring his nature in your life yourself. As we get older... You might start to notice some characteristics of mom and dad in you that you never quite picked up on when you was a teenager or a kid. 
as you mature and you get settled in those ways, they manifest themselves. That you are a product of them. And as you mature and as you develop in your spiritual experience with the Lord, you want to have evidences in your life that prove that you've been born of God. Amen. So there's no greater evidence than those things mirroring themselves in our own lives. So again, again, here it is, the long-suffering of the Lord. It is God's patience. It is God's patience. False teacher said delay, it's not coming, but it's God's patience that account then for salvation. He's given men. Nobody will ever leave this earth on the day of the Lord and say they didn't have opportunity to make things right. They didn't have opportunity for salvation. They didn't have opportunity for this and that. Matter of fact, Peter even says, he, he refers to Paul now, if you notice here in Scripture. Peter says, Paul spoke of the very same things I spoke of. Peter was letting the people know, I'm not some lone ranger out here all by myself with some harebrained idea, and I'm just you know starting a cult over here. No, 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 I'm not alone. He said, Paul, he spoke some of the same things, amen, that I preached to you, Paul has said as well. And so Paul spoke of them, and here's what he even alludes to. He said, Paul spoke about some of the very same things, and people tried to twist his words too. Paul spoke about some of the very same things and tried to demoralize what he had to say too. He said people were taken, and you can read this, and we read this in Scripture. People even concerning Paul, I'm talking about Paul now, People were taking Paul and his writings of Galatians talking about liberty and freedom in Christ, and they were using that as a license to sin. About all this freedom and this liberty found in God, that just meant you do whatever you want, anytime you want, and it's all good. Yeah! You know? And so they're taking and twisting the words of the Apostle Paul. Peter says, you've done the same to some of the things that I have said, and you all just want there to be no negative ramifications over doing against really what's being said. But notice what he says. Notice the people that are doing this rest with. They're resting with. Said These are things difficult. These are things hard to understand. Let's see what the scripture says exactly. It says these are things that are hard to be understood. Verse 16. In which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. We're not saying that Peter and Paul was teaching some so profound doctrine that someone could not follow their line of thought. But people that are unlearned and more importantly unstable, it could be as clear as day and they don't want to follow the line of thought. They wrestle with the inevitable. They wrestle with the apparent. Mm -hmm. They'll wrestle with the apparent. These same people are twisting and trying to misrepresent the words of Peter, trying to misrepresent the words of Paul. But remember, they're the unstable ones. They're the very ones that the false teachers are trying to allure, remember? They are alluring the unstable, probably because they already got a little bit of a bend toward wrestling around with things that just don't need to be tampered with. Watch your spirit when you got to question everything that the Bible says. Watch your spirit, whatever you got to question. There's nothing wrong with having questions if they're sincere questions. But if it's just a question because it isn't turning out the way you want it to say or the way that you want it to turn out, you got to watch that because you might be leaning toward a tendency that, that, you know what, you're not really interested in what God has. You're interested in being comfortable in your life and having him put a stamp of approval on you. Amen. And so evidently the, these unstable ones and learned was already leaning toward, you know, Debating every truth, debating every issue, debating every doctrine of the word, skewing it, 
you know, trying to find the loophole. Not about how, not about living for the Lord, it's about how much I can get by and still make it. Here's the question. How can the unlearned teach? First Timothy 6, these are good. I, I'm going to read these slow. I'm telling you right now, I'm reading them slow. First Timothy 6, verse 2 through 5. Look at these verses. These are so good, so masterful. And they, I'll read a little quicker than that. That have believing masters, let them not despise them. Don't despise the believing masters because they are brethren, but rather do them service because they are faithful and beloved, partakers of the benefit, the benefit of everything that pertains to life and godliness, the benefit of the spirit of the Lord, partakers of the divine nature. They are partakers of the benefit. These things teach and exhort, verse 3, if any man teach otherwise, otherwise, contrary, different, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ. Hello, steering off course here. They're not echoing what the Lord said. Even the words, if they're not consent to the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine, which is according to godliness. All right. Verse 4. He is proud, knowing nothing. In other words, that type of teacher don't know anything. He's not teaching the things of the Lord and the doctrines according to God. He don't know anything. Why are you giving ear to somebody who don't know anything? But doting about questions, here we go, rest, a little wrestling. Doting about questions and strifes of words. Wherefore cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings. Well, you know, I suppose, and I'm thinking, and I consider, and whenever I look at it, in my opinion. Five, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds. Destitute of the truth. What? These condies that teach otherwise, they know nothing. They're destitute of the truth. It's not fair. Supposing that gain, here's their godliness. Gain is godliness. From such, plain and simple, withdraw thyself. No companionship. Lend no ear. Give no attention because he's still coming. It's still going to be a rapture. You, you, you're, going to, you're going to feed into that stuff. You're going to know the same that they do. Nothing. You lend into that stuff. You're going to be taken by the same things. They're going to be taken by evil surmisings. You're going to be taken to that stuff. You're going to be left when it does go. Amen. Hallelujah. They twisted. So, so they said they twisted Paul's words. They, they twisted my words. And they're going to twist somebody's words in this generation. Probably this Paul's. He says, but there are some, though, that are legitimate teachers. Some that are legitimate teachers that know the sound doctrine and the ways of the Lord. And here's the thing, and I, I, I stated this, and we alluded to this last week some. Like Peter and Paul, knowing the doctrine, knowing the ways of the Lord, still yet we cannot stop talking about them. 
We cannot get to a place that we say, well, I know it, they know it, everybody knows it, we're all, you know, we're good. Because whenever you stop talking about stuff again, that's the reason why Moses was admonished, rehearse it in their ears, rehearse it in their ears. Why? People, humanity has a tendency to forget. And if you're not reminded often enough, you know what? You forget. Uh-huh. You don't talk about it often enough. If you don't do like Peter said in the starting of chapter 3, he said, I've come to stir up your pure minds. With purpose, he did that because if you don't, people are apt to forget. And what happens? Then they they misplace what the important matters really are. Mm -hmm. Then we get, that's whenever we get in the thing, well, it don't matter how you're baptized. And it don't, because why? No one else, no one's talked about it in a while. Amen. And so we got to go back. We got to talk about them. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse number 12, the Bible says, "For, For when, for the time ye ought to be teachers... You should be teachers. This should be the stage yet. You have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles. First, primary. First principles of the oracles of God are become, are become such as have need of milk and not a strong meat. He said there's a time, he said that sometimes the teachers got to go back to the rudimentary things of just the basics and re-familiarize, rehearse, Resay what has already been said. Even though sometimes I know as a pastor, I step here and like, man, I've told you all this a hundred times. I'm like, they're getting sick of hearing it. And sometimes I'm, it's not that I'm so much sick of telling you. It's just that I feel like you're sick of hearing it. But you know what? I got to say it again. Because if we don't talk about it, somewhere along the way, your generation is going to die off. A new generation is going to come on. They're not going to know. Or you're going to let it slip from your mind that we ever spoke about it. And they're going to say, you know what? I really don't know what the Bible says about that. Maybe it isn't that way. Amen. And so the unlearned and the unstable, they, they rest or they wrestle with Paul's writings. As Peter says, they wrestled with other people. So, so, so he said, Paul, Paul isn't the only one they wrestled with. They wrestled some other people. And that's just, that's just the attitude, he says, of those type of people. They're just a little difficult. They're nonconformist. Didn't matter who said it. <laughs> so you know, some people have that. I don't care who said it. They're wrangling with these things. And the thing is, it's not, look now, this isn't to their benefit. Look at it. They're wrangling with these things. It's not to their benefit. They would have been better off taking both the Apostle Paul and the Apostle Peter and what they had to say at the word. Because look, if you will, the end of verse number 16, their own suspicion of all these things, the guesswork, the surmisings, all this stuff, has been nothing but led to their own destruction, particularly at the end of time, the day of the Lord destruction so what profit was it then to question everything what profit was it to listen to a teacher that didn't know it anything hmm something that you should have withdrew from it's snafu'd you it has entangled you verses 17 and 18 we'll wrap this up here quickly ye therefore peter says beloved verse 17 Seeing you know these things. Man, he's really harping on that, isn't he? You know it. That's the reason why I told you tonight. Live it like you know it. Because he's telling them a thousand times. Seeing you know this. Seeing you know these things before, beware, lest ye also being led away with the error of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace. And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. The Barclay translation of verse number 17 says it like this. As far as you are concerned, beloved, 
you have been forewarned. You must, therefore, be on your guard not to be carried away by the error of lawless men. The Net Bible calls them unprincipled men. And so to fall from your own foundation. So Peter wants those that have obtained this like precious faith we've been talking about, this gift of the Holy Ghost, the spirit of promise that we have. He wants us to know that, listen, guys, I've shared enough with you to be successful in this. I've talked about it. I've ministered about it. I've underscored it. I've emphasized it enough that you should, that, that what I've shared with you, you should be conscious about and mindful about to the place that you should be able to safe your guard, safeguard your lives from some of the pitfalls that may come about. It's, in other words, it's kind of like I put the sign up, here's a hole, here's a landmine, right? There's the snake pit. And you be, if you'll be conscious about what I placed before you, you'll save yourself from the pit. You'll save yourself from the, you understand what I'm saying? He's saying, I've given you enough information. I've divulged enough to, uh, to you that you should be able to live your life to avoid some of these pitfalls. He said, if you're finding yourself in the pitfalls, then you've not must listen to what I said. <laughs> you're not taking in the signs. Now, how many times you went down the road, and like all of a sudden, you know, one lane merged, like, oh, I didn't see that back there. And all of a sudden, you're all crunched because you missed the signs. Or you're sitting there with a cop behind you to said, did you know that was a 30-mile bar? No, sir, I did not. I still thought it was 50 or whatever. You missed the sign. Had you seen the sign, you might not be on the side of the road. Paul says, I forewarned you. I've told you. Be conscious of those things, mindful of those things. I wasn't just wasting breath. This is to help you to get to the day of the Lord and be successful at the day of the Lord. He says, so beware. Beware, since I've told you about all this, beware of falling to some of the similar things that the false teachers have fell to. Because I'm putting it in a big banner up there for you. Don't go there. Don't do that. Don't touch that. Don't listen to that. Why? He says, because I want you to remain steadfast. He says, you have a good footing right now. But if you don't keep your eyes wide open and listen to what I'm telling you, your footing could get very shaky, but you have good footing. I want you to keep the foundation that you started on. Hey, man, I want you to keep the foundation that you started on. Alexander McLaren says this. He says, the only preventative of falling away from steadfastness is continual progress. He says, the alternate to Advance is retrogression. He says, if you're not going forward, then you're already sliding backwards. That's what he's basically saying. The only way to keep from falling away from steadfastness is you got to continue to progress on. And when you look at the closing, that's what Peter is telling us. He's telling us he's closing the book the same way that he started the book. The first, you know, I, you can go in my office in there. I got, I got bookends to my books if they don't have walls. I got bookends. One bookend holds up. All the way to the other end, the other book end, and it has these books sandwiched in between. Well, the first book end of Second Peter is growing grace. The last book end of Second Peter is growing grace. When we started this book in chapter number one, he started out and told us that we grace and peace should be multiplied unto us and how that is done is then by adding one virtue to another virtue amen and we grow up and mature in the things of the lord that we're to grow in the knowledge of the lord jesus christ we're we need to move beyond acquaintance status with god huh move beyond acquaintance you know someone that you're acquaintance you kind of know right you know yeah i kind of know you're acquaintance are they a friend a 
Are they a close friend? Are you a best bud? We need to move beyond acquaintance status. Some of us started our lives for the good Lord, and we've always stayed at acquaintance status. No relationship has materialized or really flourished. Any beyond? Yeah, we know each other. Kind of. <laughs> I want him to know my name if someone would mention it to him. I want him to know something about me, my likes, my dislikes, and I want to know the same about him. Peter instructed us, he instructed us to let those things, let those things from the very beginning, all those virtues to grow and develop and mature in our lives. And I've said it before, I said it again, through our experiential knowledge of God, it's being lived out in our lives. Why? Why do you say that, Peter? Because Peter knew the end results of this matter. Peter knew the day of the Lord that was coming. Alexander McLaren, and I, I'm coming, I'm hasty, I'm running to a close. Amen, says this as well. And this is very important. I'll close with this if you'll stand. He says, and this is important. I think this is a good concept. The lesson that the little child learns, now I'll break this down for you, contains the omega as well as the alpha of all truth. In other words, lessons we, we learn as a kid, we learn them at a stage of maturity, and we understand them at that particular age of maturity because we're a kid, right? There's certain things, that, lessons that we learn, we learn at a certain level because we're too young to understand any deeper concern in that because we're a kid. But as we grow older, the lesson is still exactly the same, but our understanding deepens, widens. We have a better appreciation for the lesson because we've matured and grown up with the lesson. And so it's alpha and omega beginning to end. It's seed concept and it's full flourishing of what all it really is develops as we develop. The lessons that we learn in our initial experience with the Lord, they're true, they're good, they're applicable to where we are in our experience with God. But as we continue to grow and progress in God, our appreciation for that what would seem like a very ginger and elementary lesson, it's even going to broaden, become more intense, amen, and we're going to be more appreciative of it. In other words, as we mature, our thoughts and understanding progresses concerning what we come to know even as a first believer. We talk about, we can talk about baptism as someone that just gets baptized. You take that same person 15 years from now, and baptism's, Still as good as it was when they were first baptized as far as their understanding. But it's grown. Their knowledge of that. Their appreciation for that. Of what actually happens and what took place. They, they have a greater spectrum, if you will, of understanding, belief. Amen. Because that original lesson has been enriched in their life. Because it has just grown and developed. Amen. And gotten more healthy, so to speak. And so those things that we, as a kid, developed. We, we develop and we understand and we appreciate them. All of that should just intensify and hopefully solidify. Solidify in our lives. And so Peter, he says, you're going to let grace and peace be multiplied to you in the beginning. He slams the other book in on the end of his book. And he says, grow in grace because you never stop growing in grace. Remember Titus because it's grace is the teacher that that teaches us to, to, to deny all ungodliness and it goes through the list. You should never stop growing in grace. I mean, it's constantly, constantly helping you. And so tonight, as we end Second Peter here, two series, Second Peter series, again, live it like you know it because he told him once again, if you're looking for these things, I've told you, I've warned you, da, 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 and live it like it's been told to you. 
live it like it's been forewarned to you. Don't be an ostrich with your head in the sand. Don't deny, deny the, the, the evident. Huh? Amen. We bow our heads here, here this evening. Father, I come to you tonight. I'll pray over us tonight. God, I need you. God, we need you in this place. Help us, God, to live out in our lives, God, what, Lord Jesus, God, we have been told, what has been spoken, what has been shared. Help us, God, to, God, be able to sidestep, Lord, the pitfalls, Lord Jesus, those things that would, Lord, pull us and those things that would even possibly allure us, God. Let these things be something that we speak about, God, consistently and daily. Help us, Lord, to look to your coming. Help us, God, to aid in hastening the coming. Help us, Lord, God, to spread the word. And, God, pray, Lord, come, even Lord Jesus. God, we know there is a day and an hour, God, that will be different, God, from the one that we live in now, God, of wickedness and despair and Lord Jesus, the Lord, the dilapidate, Lord Jesus, God, destruction of the world. But there will be a day, O oh Lord, God, when there will be, Lord Jesus, righteousness again and godliness again. And God, we are waiting for that coming, Lord, with anticipation. Lord, we are looking to it. And God, we want, Lord, the, our holy conversation, God, and godliness, Lord, to be found, Lord Jesus, without spot, Lord, and blameless before the Lord. We want, Lord Jesus, your character and nature to show through in our lives, God, that you will find yourself in us, God, when you come to take us home someday. So help us, Lord, I pray now. God, with diligence, Lord, with diligence, Lord, to grow and mature, Lord Jesus, in that direction. God, I want to live the way, Lord Jesus, you would want me to live and be pleasing to the one that is coming for me. In the lovely name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that I pray, amen and amen. Can the church say amen? Amen. Real quickly. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.